Welcome to the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast, where we talk strength training, science, and all things performance for cyclists and triathletes, helping you be a stronger, more savvy athlete now and for many years to come. Here's your host, Menachem Brody. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 138 of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast. This week, we dive into part two with Dr. Stuart McGill, talking about why it's important to be an athlete 24-7 and getting into more specifics in back pain in cyclists and triathletes. And this episode has a lot of small but very important linchpins that many people miss. Over my years working in the industry and specifically with back pain individuals, uh, cyclists and triathletes, uh, many people miss that how you move throughout your day has a big impact as to whether or not you develop pain, discomfort, or a are prolonging an injury, uh, especially back pain. I've spoken, uh, you know, the, the people that I've interviewed uh, the last year and a half since I opened the Big Gear Blueprint, uh, I've had a 32-year-old father of two who had sharp, debilitating back pain every time he tried to pick up his kid or to get up off the floor after playing with them. And uh, the sad truth is, is a lot of people think that no, the, the, the pain is just related to the bike, and it was just this one time. And when you have these types of discomfort or pain, whether it's back pain, knee pain, uh, hip pain, shoulder pain, if you're having sharp, debilitating pain or numbness or tingling, uh, that is a really bad sign. That something is really off and needs to be done. It is not related to your bike fit. It is not related to your riding position. Uh, those two are one and the same. It's not necessarily related to deadlifts. Uh, maybe, um, but this particular individual I'm thinking of, the injury actually happened uh, off the bike uh, when they were picking up their kid. And uh, a lot of us look to things that don't necessarily make sense, but if we take a step back and understand the mechanics of what actually causes, in this case, back pain, the mechanics and the mechanisms, you can really become a, a great detective to figure out what is manufacturing that pain, what is driving that pain, and how do you find a position of resiliency and, and to be able to dial down your pain. Now, Dr. McGill has written a fantastic, masterful piece on this called Back Mechanic. Now, it's a book. Uh, it's around 150 pages, I believe. Uh, it is absolutely phenomenal in that it will allow anybody, no matter what your background, the ability to understand what causes common back pain and how to uh, self-assess and how to get yourself out of that pain. I strongly recommend if anybody out there has had uh, pain or discomfort, pick up a copy of the book. Uh, I'm working on translating it to Hebrew right now. Uh, we've been working on it for about a year, so we're very excited uh, to hopefully have that ready to go here in 2023. It, it's really one of those underutilized pieces of, of uh, literature out there that you, know, you can go to all these Instagram folks but you've got to go to the master. If you have back pain, you got to go to the master. Uh, you can take a crapshoot and you know what worked for someone else may or may not work for you. But as you've heard in the first part of this interview, and hopefully in the second part, you'll learn even more that it really depends. And uh, I'm going to pause there for this. We're going to talk a little bit more about the McGill uh, weekend that I just spent with uh, Dr. McGill and a few of the other McGill practitioners. Uh, it was a fantastic weekend, but let's head over to the HVT update and I'll dive into that just a little bit. All right, so here's an update from Human Vortex Training, HV Training for the week of Sunday, September 25th, 2022. 
Last week, I spent five days in Gravenhurst, Ontario, Canada, uh, four days or three days, excuse me, with uh, Dr. McGill and a handful of McGill practitioners from around the world. Uh, we assessed together two real patients, a world-class athlete who was forced to retire very young and very early uh, due to back pain, as well as a general population um, individual in their mid-30s that nobody could figure out what the pain was from. And... Uh, those were some really powerful uh, assessments. Each of them left with a very good idea of what was going on, uh, positions of respite to allow them to dial down their pain. Uh, they came out with a firm um, path ahead to understand what they need to do, what they need to work on. Um, and it's really something to be in a room with those folks. I got to tell you, we had uh, a practitioner in from Sydney, Australia, uh, Eindhoven, Netherlands, myself, Montreal, Ontario. Uh, excuse me, Montreal and Ottawa, uh, everybody came to Ontario, Alaska, uh, I want to say Boston was another one, I think Minneapolis or um, Milwaukee, I can't remember which one, but we had a number of people come in, and uh, just wow, just really, really cool, and a couple places in uh, uh, Canada that I'm not familiar with, but uh, what a wonderful weekend that was, I've got to tell you, it's just something that when you go through it, uh, I've been in a number of masterminds, and this is definitely one of the, the most powerful uh, experiences that I've had. Uh, and we all, the, the social time afterward, nobody left early, everybody was there, and, and just to exchange stories and, and ideas is just something powerful about it. So uh, that was a major milestone. Um, coming back, Starting to open up some more spots over the last year and a half. I, I really haven't taken uh, many athletes off. In fact, uh, some of you listening here had contacted me and I told you I'm sorry that uh, my doors were closed. I wasn't taking new clients and most of that was because I wanted to give um, priority to my family being there for uh, my young boy as he's grown up or first uh, as well as my wife uh, during the last uh, year. And uh, now I'm opening up a couple slots uh, for a number of reasons. One is there's more time balance now. Uh, he doesn't need us uh, as much. He's in pre-K at this point which means there's time during the day that I can commit to people and learning and diving into rabbit holes and researching and all the fun dorky stuff that I like to do uh, for each of my clients, uh, as well as uh, two are actually graduating. So today, actually probably in about 30 minutes from the time that this will be released here on Sunday, uh, I have a client, Jim S., is going to be tackling the Texas State Road Race, Master's Race. Uh, he's been with me for about a year and a half, and boy, oh man, he has grown leaps and bounds, um, and that is just phenomenal. So Jim was working with me uh, at a high level, um, and it's just incredible to see, you know, to have those conversations, to really help somebody be able to, to learn and guide them a little bit and learn just as much from them. You know, he's a fantastically intelligent and sharp gentleman uh, who's done some phenomenal things in his own, and uh, he's really uh, going to be flying this weekend, and he is. I saw one of his... Uh, power files from the uh, one race the other day and he's just sharp as a tack so excited to see how he does with that uh, as well as a triathlete uh, who has decided that they are going to also the same as I did they're going to turn their attention to their family so they're dialing back from competitive triathlon at the 70.3 and um, so those are two spots that are opening as well as I'm opening another three so if you're interested in working with me, now is a good time. Um, we'll have to do an interview. I don't work with anybody that we're not a good fit for, and that has to be agreed upon on both sides. So if you're interested in working with me, send me an email, Brody, B as in boy, R-O-D as in dog, I-E, at humanvortextraining.com, uh, and we'll see if it's a good fit. 
aside from that, lots of different stuff going on. Um, for me personally, this year, I think I've mentioned uh, two episodes ago that uh, I'm kind of done chasing the CEUs. I'm really doing a deep dive into areas that interest me. So uh, this coming year is going to be the fascia. I have uh, about six new books and uh, two courses uh, that are all set to go for me to dive and learn even more about the fascia and how that works. Um, and really excited to dive into that because that's something that my mind keeps coming back to as I work with more and more individuals that are not necessarily in the back pain side of things, but in pain um, that are in their 50s it just keeps coming back to the fascia kind of gets stuck. So I uh, had an incident, or an, not an incident, had an occurrence uh, just a short time ago of an individual who had had abdominal surgery at a young age, under the age of five, and uh, their fascia had kind of gotten stuck around the surgical site. Pretty cool stuff. Um, really tough to, to see that because they were frustrated. Uh, had another client who was in the armed forces had uh, their fascia start to flare up a little bit after we added some load to him. Uh, interestingly, it was the last week of load and then going into the deload. Uh, then he had a, a, a fitness test that he had to do, which really flared it up. So we've been trying to dial it back down. And it just keeps coming up over and over again. And there's a lot of misinformation out there about fascial release or uh, things of that nature. So I'm really interested and excited to get into that. Part two that I'm diving into is social media content and marketing, something that I'm really, really bad at. Uh, I, I've tried over the years. Uh, some of you may have noticed that uh, the end of last year, 2021, I did hire for a few months uh, a small company to work on my social media. So my Instagram changed, the editing level for the YouTube uh, went up significantly. But uh, one, it's expensive. <laughs> I know some of you may think that I have a very large company, but it's just me doing all this stuff. Um, and uh, it just got to the point where the return wasn't there. So it, it's really tough for me. You know, uh, the stuff I have isn't necessarily uh, sexy or, oh my goodness, this is totally going to help me. Uh, for instance, just last night I had somebody comment on the prone glute activation. I don't see how this, is, this isn't going to do diddly for putting more power down to the pedals. Uh, so actually it does because putting you into that position teaches you to use your 360 degree core to get into a better uh, position for your pelvis which aligns your diaphragm uh, and your pelvic floor as well as recenters the head of the femur so that the glutes can work more effectively uh, and allows you to, to deliver more power over the course of a longer period of time but it's not something that most people connect with uh, and it's really funny right so uh, I'm looking forward to, to learning how to uh, to do a better job of marketing myself, to, to connect with people because this information is needed very much. Uh, it may not be easy, but it is simple. And to kind of drive that home, I just got a, a message here earlier this afternoon from one of the athletes that I've been working with for about four months. Um, they just finished a really, really uh, tough four-day mountain bike stage race called Epic Israel. And uh, they finished, uh, he was sick the first couple days. But uh, to quote, your exercises that you gave me were awesome. It really helped. I still can't believe how well those breathing exercises worked. When I read it in your book, I thought it will have little to no effect, but the complete opposite has happened. Thank you. Uh, and that's, you know, I, I got to learn how to market this stuff. I got to learn how to create content that uh, gets people to click like and share. The share and the comment are more important. Uh, and let's face it, um, I'm not that great at that. So those are the two focuses for this, uh, this coming year. Um, also, by the way, the strength training for certification uh, is 
for Cyclist certification is open. Uh, it's open 24-7, 365. So if you're ready to learn uh, about a system that will help you or your athletes be able to see better results on the bike, and it's not about flashy exercises, but it's about the real simple linchpins to performance that will help, including the progression for all of the major exercises, push, pull, squat, hinge, press, rotary stability, as well as jumping for acceleration and deceleration. Uh, the certification course is open. You can check it out at the Human Vortex training website uh, and sign up. Um, with that, let's get into today's episode part two with Dr. Stuart McGill. Be an athlete 24-7, 365, because that is where the magic happens. All right, let's jump into it. So we were on the two to three myths, uh, and you had taken the the, uh, the model there of the pelvis now after showing the end plate. Well, yes. Um, here's another uh, uh, issue with uh, cyclists, and that is what we call micro movements. So I've showing you with these two models two different types of spine damage that you see in uh, cyclists both of which occur in the weight room, not on the bike. Um, but as soon as you damage an end plate or get a little bit of a disc bulge, uh, that changes the mechanics of the joint. So these things don't heal in six to 12 weeks. Once you've changed the mechanics, I'll show you what happens. So this disc is normal and this disc is normal, but this one has had a little bit of a compromise to bear the pressure in the nucleus of the disc. Now I'm going to rotate the whole variety of the motion occurs. It occurs right at this joint. I'll just come a little bit closer so you can see. So the top and bottom discs are normal. It's this one that's a bit lax. You see how the majority of the emotion is occurring at this lax joint. Do you see that on MRI? Of course not, because the MRI is a static shot. But as soon as we use video fluoroscopy, or you can even see it in some people with uh, ultrasound, you will see the laxity at a single joint. Well, what happens there is that creates pain to all of the uh, possible uh, pain generators around that particular joint. It changes the load in the facet joints. And what's so curious, very rarely do you find an athlete whose primary concern and first injury is to the facet joints. Almost always in the history of that injury, it started out as a bad disc. And then two years later, the facet joints now become uh, the primary. So this forms the cascade. And again, it's not like getting a broken leg where the bone heals and you're back to cycling again. Uh, damage to a joint is different. And if you change the mechanics of the joint, slowly other tissues get involved. The stress migrates from one tissue to the next. Um, interestingly enough, in most athletes, after uh, what we're trying to do is stiffen that laxity, not mobilize it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then once it's stiffened, uh, of course, the motion is now responsible to the joint above and below, and we see greater rates of pathology in adjacent segments. That's well known if you have a spine fusion at one level, for example. Exactly. So anyway, there's, there's wheels within wheels uh, in all of this, and, and you know, uh, um, it depends. But uh, anyway, uh, if you wanted to talk about a couple of other common sense uh, uh, yeah, I want to come back to, I'd like to, I have one thing that I'd like to, to mention with this for the, the listener. 
what you just talked about with that joint uh, laxity and then uh, or or immobility uh, will lead to joints having uh, different forces act upon them because that which is attached is not acting properly. For a lot of um, recreational cyclists, we see a very kyphotic and forward head position where they lose range of motion, the shoulder joints out of position. And that really drastically changes the forces that are being enacted on the spine, not just on the bike, but day to day. So, you know, finding that, that happy medium between having a good platform for the, the spine includes healthy range of motion uh, and strength endurance for the upper back as well. Well, you've just opened up a whole new world now in a discussion, and let's, let's discuss corrective exercise. And I don't think that word is, is properly used sometimes. But corrective exercise is to combat the chronic stresses caused by the sport. So if we have a long-distance runner or a long-distance cyclist, generally, they don't build a lot of upper body muscle, but they develop big lungs and they tend to get the forward flex posture that carries with them 24-7 uh, in their daily life. Well, if they stand in this posture and you measure the muscle activity, it never ceases. Uh, they're always having to hold that corrupted posture by the chronic stress. So there's a time for corrective exercise to do some thoracic extension work, learn how to restack the spine. And what they're building is pain-free capacity now. Instead of using it all up 24-7, they save it for when they're on the bike. They can train a little harder on the bike because they built it through good posture during the day. Um, what would you say are another uh, one or two myths? We spoke pretty much about triathlon uh, up to this point. What about uh, cyclists as well? Well, again, you know the answer is uh, it depends. Um, what I do with the very accomplished cyclist athletes, you know, I said, let's get out the uh, uh, clipboard and write down what it is you need in terms of uh, athletic variables to be the very best cyclist. After we've gone through that exercise, I then say, what's the weakest part of your athletic game? So, you know, if they were a hockey player or, a, or you know, whatever, they, they, they could tell me about their shooting style and parts of the game and all that kind of thing. That's, for some reason, not always in the thought pattern of a trained cyclist. Um, I, I think they'd be really wise to spend more time in self-analysis. What is the weakest part of my game? And if I was a magic genie and could bestow upon you any feature to make you a winning world-class cyclist, what would that be? Now, if an athlete struggles to answer that, they have nothing to guide their training. You've got to know what you're training. And the culture of cycling doesn't lend itself to that. You know, when I work with some top fighters in the UFC and I say, what would make you the top in your game? They all know it. They all can give it to me very, very precisely. But cyclists, that's not in their culture of how they train. So I have to uh, work with them and uh, pull it out of them uh, just a little bit. So, you know, do you need more stretching or do you need less stretching? Would you actually be better being stiffer? And they look at you as if they've never thought about this before. Because they so, haven't. They haven't. No. But, you know, if, if I could have more core stiffness and more hip and knee power, we've just made a hell of a lot better 
forced uh, uh, propagation through the linkage to the bike. That was the biggest thing you could have done, stop the energy leaks. So that's a, a discussion that uh, is, is a real uh, uh, impediment. Um, one more thing that uh, comes to mind only because uh, I saw an athlete uh, uh, with this just uh, last week. Um, you know, we talk about graded exposure. So someone's coming off an injury. Um, let's say it is they've, they've, they've damaged a disc in their back in the weight room. It, they're very reticent to bend forward and flex because they know when they do that or they squat too deep, they uh, are incapacitated now with a real acute attack of, in their back. Um, but uh, eventually, of course, the objective is to get them back on the bike. Well, some therapists have taken this to mean, oh, let's in the clinic start flexing you down and exposing you to this flexion. And uh, it, it's to me, why would you pick the scab of an injury and not give a defense strategy for the athlete? So instead we say, we're gonna do the opposite. We are going to do graded exposure, but not in such a crude way. We're going to practice good spy and hygiene throughout the day, but we are going to get you on the bike because that is the precise athleticism that we're trying to get you back to do. So spare your spine throughout the day. Now on the first day of exposure on the bike, let's ride for three minutes. Yep. We will set up the bike. And I know this is your game. You're very good at setting up the bike to fit the athlete and really minimize stress concentrations that's gonna cause their pain again. But go ride for three minutes, and then the next day you audit. How did your body respond to that three minute exposure? Yeah. If you got a little bit of a tweak, you got your answer. Right. You're not quite ready yet. You've yeah. got to spend more time uh, adapting that particular uh, injury. But if you get the green light, you might say, you know what, not only do I feel no pain, I actually feel a bit better. Fabulous. But don't do any more on the second day. That's the key. Right. Don't get greedy. Right. And then on the third day now, go ride for five or six minutes. No more. Day five we're up to now. Is that day five? No, we're up to day four. Day four, they audit. How did you respond to five minutes? If it's good, don't do any more. Right. Let your body adapt to that new reality. You just did a five-minute exposure with no issue. Fabulous, but don't get greedy. Now day six, a nine-minute exposure. So when you do this three-day rolling cycle of graded exposure, uh, it is so much safer than, uh, you know, you see the number of athletes who come in and they were caused by their docs and their therapists doing this forced exposure to whatever the pain trigger was, some, believing that this is going to somehow uh, condition their body. I mean, that, that's a, a huge reason why I'm seeing more patients now. I, I wish, I want to retire. That's the honest <laughs> truth. And, and I'm seeing more caused by bloody-minded clinicians who think graded exposure is just to force them into yeah. the thing that caused the pain trigger, not understanding there's a very precise mechanism to end plate fracture and micro-movements and <laughs> disc bulges or you name it that they can't see on MR. It's, it's really a very odd situation we're in. 
literally have a, an athlete who is going through exactly what you said. Like you went to the therapist, went to the therapist I recommended out of network, which is another issue outside of the, the scope of this uh, conversation today, but uh, went to another one, had a recurrence because they put her into a forced flexed position saying, well, your body's used to the bikes. You need to get used to it again. The tissue needs to stretch flared up worse than before now tingling loss of sensation and i just said let's 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 take a step back small amounts uh how do you feel you know the, the athlete had to adapt to not having that plan in front of them and i think that's part of the, the struggle for endurance athletes to them it's often step one step two step three step four and then in 30 days i'm going to be here and then everything's fine and nothing likes that uh works like that no well, what what's so interesting is is a, a real mega trend that is going on and athletes are avoiding many physical therapists now and going to their strength coach. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's a terribly, uh, it's, it's almost as if they're, uh, what's the word now, making themselves go into oblivion. Uh, anyway, it's, yeah. it's, it's, I, I, I don't know really what more to say about this, but uh, so what are your thoughts on strength training approaches uh, to best help cyclists and triathletes? And, and again, two different sports, essentially three sports and one. Uh, but what are your thoughts on strength training approaches to best help uh, these athletes build better spine, pelvis, uh, hip control, internal external rotation, um, thus allowing for better performance and long-term health? Well, again, it depends. And there's so many places we could take that discussion. But just to recover what we've already mentioned, um, a stiffer core for a cyclist is better. I mean, that's really not, not arguable. Um, many tend to overtrain, and because they don't program in cycles, they think more mileage is better. It's the only option left to them, rather than, okay, uh, in, instead of training like, say, an Olympic sprinter would, they will go into a strength. First of all, they take time off. Oh, you're a dog lover. I'm a dog lover, too. That's oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my lab is usually sitting beside me on these podcasts. I don't know where he is today, but anyway. But um, so, uh, you know, they'll go into a strength phase. And then they'll taper down into a neurological training and speed phase. And then it's all technique after that. And uh, cycling, um, I, I, I think if they could think more like that, it would help. Um, train the body to be a tuned machine. So you're always tuning the interplay between strength and stiffness and mobility and elasticity and endurance, uh, et cetera. Uh, and being an athlete 24 seven. So yes, they eat well. That's uh, hopefully a, uh, uh, a given, but to treat their body well throughout the day, because there's only a, there's a, a finite biological capacity for work. You just can't beat your body to oblivion. There's a tipping point in every biological system. So have a good idea of where that uh, tipping point is, but expand it as much as you can by practicing uh, movement hygiene throughout the day. Now you've got a bigger training capacity. Um, you know, in the weight room, good technique, limit the, uh, the, the volume to the very stressful. 
but again, you know, different people have different capacities. Some are just warriors in the weight room. The next might be the world's best cyclist, but they have a much less capacity in the weight room. And this is where the coach and the athlete relationship really matters. The, the uh, master coach will sense where that is. And it only comes from having a lot of years under your belt, making a few mistakes and having a very good understanding of the science. And, and that's interesting. I, I, and that's kind of not my complaint, but my concern for the cycling coaching. There's so much misinformation out there and people speaking in definites. And as a young coach, I did that as well. I believe that everybody should squat with their toes parallel, pointing straight ahead. And my powerlifting coach uh, taught me, no, everybody has a different stance. Find what works for them. Um, but with cycling coach or cycling as a whole, the strength training mentality seems to be um, – in the 1980s. It's still very stuck on that bodybuilder uh, or it's a uh, leg press and hamstring curl and, um, and squat and that's it. Maybe walking lunges. There's a program out there for that. Uh, what are some things that we as coaches, uh, aside from going out and reading and being critical, you know, just because a research article, the P isn't less than 0.05, doesn't mean that the findings weren't significant. You have to learn how to read that article. Well, it worked for 75 or 80% of the participants. Why did that work? And, and how does it actually work out? What are some things that as coaches uh, that we need to be aware of and start to pick up on our radar? Is it going and learning to be a good strength training coach? Or is it uh, just simply saying, hey, I'm a cycling coach, not a strength training coach. Here's someone else who knows what they're talking about. Now I have another professional to work with. Well, I don't know if I really have the wisdom to answer that question. Um, you know, I've spent my whole career in trying to be the, the, the very best at understanding why people have back pain. So it's, you know, I was a professor for 32 years probing that in our different laboratories and clinic and whatnot. And then with working with, with athletes, you, 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 you gain hopefully a wisdom over time. So I think um, someone like yourself or another coach, they need to decide what suits their personality. Uh, if they want to be a master coach, then, uh, you know, you have to know how to deal with people. You have to know how to read a person. Well, is that psychology? Do you need to go get psychology training? I don't know about that. I'd go talk to a criminal and uh, ask the criminal, how do you know who you're going to attack as a criminal? Well, they know. Mm -hmm. And uh, they identify features and patterns of that person. Now, did they get a PhD to know how to do that? No, they're just perceptive people. So coaches are innately very perceptive and they know how to treat athlete A differently from athlete B. They also recognize that their mechanics, their architecture, their physiology, their anatomy, their, you know, you name it. Uh, it's all unique uh, to that person. So yes, they know the science of how to create performance on a bike or in a triathlon competition or whatever, but they also recognize that every one of those people will need a slightly different augmentation to get there. So, you know, I, I, I don't know where, what, what begins and ends for each individual. They need to converge on that for themselves. And that, that's, you know, honestly kind of the answer that I was hoping for is uh, that you have to know yourself, understand your strengths and weaknesses. And there's very much an art 
to what we do as much as yeah, a science. A huge art, a huge art for sure. The other thing though, and, and you were broaching on this with reading the science, there's so many so-called experts now on social media and they'll say things like, oh, there's no study that shows X. And then usually when I see that, I can think of four or five that shows <laughs> X. Or they might say, you know, this study showed nothing happened. Well, on average, nothing did happen. But as you pointed out, it's the variance that matters. But people, they're, they're not cultured in consuming science anymore. Yeah. Um, but what you learn when you read a paper is you look at the variance, which might say, say on average, well, I can give you an example. Um, we've done this study twice on volleyball teams. The objective was to increase their vertical jump. So they did a squat training program and every player on the team did the same squat training routine. Um, uh, in, in both of the studies that we did this, just under a half increased their vertical jump at the end of the six week training. Do you know about 40% or 30% actually decreased their vertical jump and 20% it made no difference on. So on average, the squat training didn't do anything to increase the team's vertical jump. However, the key was in the variance. A large portion increased their vertical jump and a large portion decreased their vertical jump. But then we went back. And then we looked at what were the features of the people who increased and what were the features of the people who had ruined their jump. Yeah. Now we found gold. And, uh, you know, one question was, are you naturally quick or are you naturally strong? You know, most young athletes can answer that question. And you can probably guess now which ones increased their vertical jump. It was the naturally quick. So if they have a quick neurology and you add more strength, they jump higher. But if they're naturally strong and you add more strength, you just added more stiffness and more slowness. So although they're stronger, the contraction was actually inhibited by more force because a muscle creates both force and stiffness and it slowed them down. But, you know, we also found that if you... Uh, have them all stand tallest to shortest, and you number them off, one, two, three, four, five, six, and then you have them sit down, and then you repeat. You'll notice that the order changes. And what you just did was measure the body length to leg length ratio. Well, interestingly enough, the long-legged people are more hip-dominant knee jumpers, and the short-legged are more dominant knee jumpers. Well, now we're setting up bikes. You know, it's the same deal. Exactly. So, uh, all of these things matter. You know, on my bikes, what I used to do, I, I don't know if you know, I used to road cycle yeah. uh, during my master's degree. And the steering stem at the front, I would get a very short steering stem. And then I would completely reverse it to bring the bars even. It's <laughs> smart. Yeah, because I tended to, I have pretty long legs and not a very long body. But uh, anyway, d dumb examples. But uh, you're right. People... Uh, choose science to um, make a point that is convenient rather than truthful. And, you know, it always comes back to it depends. And some people are uncomfortable with that uh, uh, answer. But the true masters, you know, I don't know the answer to anything, but I just know how to talk, talk it through to see what makes, you know, on average, the preponderance of evidence suggests that you should go this way. But then the art 
and what you gain through experience then takes you the rest of the way. And it's, it's my thought, and that's, there's so much um, package there, but it's my thought that's part of the struggle. And, and we had mentioned this in his interview that endurance athletes, we still don't know really what strength is going to do for endurance athletes. We know that every other sport sees gains if you train properly, you train the proper tensioning, the tro- proper stiffness, the proper tuning. It's not about sport-specific positions. It certainly is when you're putting the strain on the system, but it's getting the system as a whole and especially the six inches between the ears to be able to function. And it seems to me that, and I'm very young in my coaching career. I have so much, so much to learn in my small. Me too. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? You, yeah, me too, uh, for, for sure. The, you know, the, 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 again, coming back to what you had said back in 2013, the more, the, the one question I answer, I have 10 more that I, now I, now I have, um, we, we, as coaches, it bothers me that, you know, most athletes don't understand that the one thing you need is better shoulder, like for one athlete in particular, I can make you a better sprinter if we, one, get you to be able to breathe better and two, get your scapular thoracic rhythm to be much more, uh, na- more what it should be, not in that rounded position. That's it. But the athlete, like you said, can't name it. And it seems like so many coaches nowadays are stuck up in the retool biomechanical uh, bike fit where it's measuring on a computer or um, how much weight the athlete can, can squat. It doesn't matter. It's can you produce the tension and the force and, and the stiffness at the right time to be able to execute that sport. And it seems we haven't figured out in cycling or triathlon uh, how to, to come up with ways that are measurable to help these athletes be able to understand themselves. This is what I'm missing. It's not VO2 max. It's the ability to use 21% of my force to go forward instead of flopping around this way. Um, and it seems to- I think the strongest argument for that is look at the combines for the many professionals. <sighs> so the NFL has a combine, the NHL has its preseason testing and the NBA, et cetera. And I've been involved in all of those. And uh, as, as you may or may not be, I, I know you're aware that the record holders very rarely even make the teams. Yeah. So what's the content validity of some of those tests. So you can do bench press for, for of 225 pounds. Um, you know, I, I know the record holder for that in the NFL, uh, one of the strongest guys I know, but couldn't make the team. So, you know, uh, there's still a fabulous athlete, but just not, it wasn't predictive of their uh, particular sport that they were trying to compete in. So, you know, we, we get back to that idea of uh, what really matters for cyclists. Cyclist A versus B, they're two very different things. Well, let's use that to, to parlay, and I think we'll, we'll wrap it up with this one, is uh, what do you think are two to three pieces of information that uh, the cycling and triathlon community uh, need to keep in mind or, or learn uh, in order to allow them to be better and more resilient and express their actual athleticism. I think we opened this whole thing with a discussion of the scientific code and then the art of it all. So keep working on developing your knowledge of how the body works. So it's non-negotiable in a articulated linkage like our body, you must have proximal stability 
to unleash distal mobility. So if I wanted to wiggle my finger, I had to stiffen my wrist. Otherwise, I couldn't do it. So to get power to the pedals, I had to stiffen through my core and really lock in those contact points, as you said, with the uh, five points of, uh, of contact. So there is a non-negotiable code scientific fact of generating force and transmitting it through the linkage. But then uh, keep honing the, uh, the code um, but you know, it's not easy. You have to be judicious who you listen to. Do you listen to someone who built one Olympic cyclist back from a major back injury in their life? Not one, but they're all over the internet with their marketing yeah. uh, saying that, oh, you know, you just bend a person into their pain and, and condition them that way. And uh, really, well, that's uh, just a little bit too crude. So, you know, in, in this world of uh, uh, the Wild West and social media, um, it's a very difficult place to become masterful if that's what you listen to. As we are doing today, which, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, the world is a very strange place right now. It is. And, and finding good information. And that was one of the things to, to bring you on and, and thank you for your time. I know we, we went quite long here, uh, but to, to help people understand, it's such a complex answer. And it really does depend on the, the skills of the coach, the athlete, the body type, the physiology, the neurology. There's so many moving cogs that there's never one answer. It's formulating, um, as, as my mentor taught me, is formulate a, an idea of what you think is going on and then you slowly move in one direction. In that direction, are we going north, south, or west? I don't know. I don't know yet. We're gonna, okay, we're going west. Are we going north, northwest, southwest? And you just kind of take those small little pieces and steps, and then it's micro-adjusting, just like a plane. There he is. Uh, There's Tico. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's taking, just like a plane takes off, and uh, something like 70% of the time, the plane is not pointing in the right direction. It's micro-correction, micro-correction, mega-correction. Um, so... Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, there's been, I have three, four notes, pages of notes here. Um, so many more questions. Uh, if you're up for it, I'd, I'd love to have you back another time and uh, kick around some more ideas. Well, um, I'll tell you, Menachem, you're, you're such a, uh, uh, first of all, an eloquent fellow, and you've got such depth in your uh, uh, knowledge. You, 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 you ask Fabulous questions and fa fabulous follow-ups. And you keep me on track, which is very difficult to do. If You, you can ask my wife that one. But uh, anyway, so sure, I, I'd uh, try and I'm, I'm trying to make this as two-way as I can. Let's have another good conversation. And uh, I wish you were here in person one day. We, we'd have a nice beer or a glass of wine and uh, just discuss all of this. And uh, there you go. I would love that. I'll, I'll talk to my wife. Uh, Canada is one of the places we'd like to go. Yeah. Or one of these days I'll, uh, I'll make it to Israel. Uh, the listeners, if they'd like to find you or the back mechanic or the ultimate uh, back health uh, or the low back disorders book, backfitpro.com is where they can find you. Uh, or they can also find you, uh, Ed or Joel, at any of your seminars, which are, are you're growing very quickly. I mean, I see it's essentially uh, almost uh, two a month at this point, uh, somewhere in the world. Uh, so fairly accessible information. Yeah, it's, uh, as I said, I, I thought I was retiring, but uh, the act actually the opposite has occurred. 
But um, yes, all our books are on Backfit Pro and it describes them uh, together with uh, other podcasts and uh, oh, a few articles uh, that are there. Dude, do you mind giving us a, a brief overview of each of the books and, and what audience they're uh, geared towards? Yes, they're all uh, different. Uh, first of all, for the lay public and uh, athletes who have back pain to get out of back pain, uh, read and follow back mechanic. Uh, pay attention to the details. They're very important. Um, but once they're out of pain, they now have a capacity to train once again, and we have to shift tax. So uh, we then direct them to ultimate back fitness and performance. Or if they are very specifically a strength athlete, I would suggest gift of injury instead. And if they're a medic or a real geek of, of all of this and all the scientific references, <laughs> it's a pretty heavy read, but that's my clinical textbook called uh, Low Back Disorders, which I know is what uh, you read. But the third edition has uh, sections on uh, preventing or reducing the risk, which would probably be more accurate. Uh, all the spine hygiene bit, and then the beginning of creating uh, proximal stability and distal mobility, a little bit of occupational settings as well as uh, sport and whatnot. But that's the heavy clinical book. Uh, for most people, start with back mechanic and then go to either of the other two. But anyway, thanks for uh, uh, supporting all of that, and hopefully it will help a few of your listeners. Much appreciated. That's it for this episode. Check out humanvortextraining.com for more great content and to keep learning.